Did you just get like a wild hair and decide you wanted to do this and just figure it out as far as, far as like the making pod- a podcast? Well, I always wanted to have a podcast and then I was like, I'm actually in a position now where I could do that and I already had this equipment. And the, the thing was like, I talk so much, I might as well monetize it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's what I tell people. I never shut up. So now I can actually make it part of my business. Hello and welcome to The Birdhouse. I'm your host, Riley Bloomer, and we are joined today by a new friend of mine, Whitney. After spending her childhood in Knoxville, Tennessee, Whitney Mallory earned her undergraduate degree in sociology at the University of Georgia. She then earned her master's in teaching at LaGrange College and spent several years teaching literature and reading in Georgia and Florida. As a wife of, the, of a naval officer, Whitney has lived in France, Germany, and most recently Ukraine, where she taught sixth grade literature at Kiev International School. Whitney currently serves as the Refugee Ministry Coordinator at Historic Christ Church in Old Town, Alexandria, and spends most of her free time shuttling her daughters to and from lacrosse and choir practices. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here, Whitney. I'm really excited for this conversation. Me too. Thank you for having me. Of course. Me. And you kind of, we talked about this a little bit, but you like showed up at the perfect time (laughs) for a lot of other reasons but a little bit also because I had been wanting to do a episode about bringing um, activism into business and like daily life and didn't really have anybody that really fit that role so I was thinking about doing one by myself and then I met you and I was like oh my god this is perfect Um, so yeah Good timing. Well, and you came to me in a similar uh, serendipitous way because we, in our ministry, are looking for housing advocates, Mm -hmm. and you're in real estate, and it just makes sense. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. (laughs) So we are working on, together, bringing real estate agents into refugee assistance work yeah so we'll see how that goes i'm really excited about that um but i got some funnel drinks (laughs) as we always do um on as you'll find out when you listen to beth's episode um hers phoned up everywhere on the table so oh okay of course for some background with this (laughs) podcast okay and i haven't had this one before this passion fruit Oh, God. Oh, it's from Charlottesville. Yeah, it's from Charlottesville. Three-notched brewing company. Ghost? Gosset? Ghost? I don't know. I don't know what that means. I like the bottle. I do, too. I always say this. I always buy beer that matches my apartment. (laughs) I thought you were going to say your outfit. (laughs) Well, it's a similar, like, color scheme. I mean, it kind of (laughs) does. That's like when you buy a cocktail at a restaurant, you have to get one that matches the vibe. Oh, yeah. That's a good sound effect. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yummy. That is good. That's a good sour. I My like that. My favorite um, sour is the volcano sauce from Aslan. Mmm. Really Never good. tried it. Everybody I introduced that beer to, they say it's their new favorite. Mm-hmm. Can you buy so, it at just a regular you grocery can. store? Yeah, it comes in a four pack and it's expensive. Well, it's like as a, most good yeah. things are. Um, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I've got some rapid fire questions here. These are the same across the board so far. I might switch them up soon. Um, 
but I've asked these to everybody who's been on the podcast and try to keep your answers under three minutes. I'm not going to time you. <laughs> Our last episode, they were timed. We can guess who was doing the timing and who was not loving that. Um, but yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Yes. How did your hometown influence the way that you behave today? Um, I, I would say, first of all, growing up as uh, the daughter of a single mother and in more of a working class uh, family environment, also placed in Knoxville, Tennessee, in mm-hmm. Appalachia. Yeah. Um, a lot of my extended family lives outside of Knoxville and actually more in the actual Smoky Mountains. And so... Um, I just grew up being aware of poverty, not that I was living in poverty, but just it was a part of my daily life. I saw that. And so I think even from a young age, I had an awareness that some people had more than others and that there were some people who had um, needs that weren't being met. And I think that probably informed what I wanted to major in and what I wanted to do as I, as I got older. Mm-hmm. I've, I've noticed that a lot of folks who have grown up like in Appalachia feel similarly about poverty and similar things. Cause you see it every day. Whereas mm-hmm. like a lot of people that grew up in Nova don't have that connection. Cause it's not as, I mean, it's totally oh, absolutely. Oh, I feel like it's a common thing for people here to think, you know, for example, to have never seen a trailer. Like, yeah. never have seen a, a or trailer Or, like, associate that is... a trailer with, like, the worst life possible instead of just Oh, absolutely. Money. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, there... Now that I live here and I see... I can see... And as we've lived in different places um, throughout my husband's career, I see that there is a distinct difference in the educational opportunities that are afforded to people depending upon where they live. Yeah. Um, And I don't know if it's my personality or if it's just because of the way I was raised and what I saw as a child, but I've always had a drive towards justice and wanting things to be more equal, Mm -hmm. um, which is one of the reasons why I like the work that I'm doing now. Yeah. Well, I think when you grow up in that environment and you have like friends and family who are struggling with things such as poverty you have such a deep connection to it because you're you're there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, retirement you doesn't necessarily to... mean, you know, golfing and a fun retirement community. And, you yeah. know, for some of my family members, retirement meant, you know, continuing to work at a grocery store just to mm-hmm. make inmates because Social Security wasn't enough to get by, yeah. even though, you know, there were medical issues and disabilities and it wasn't easy to work mm-hmm. but they had to work at minimum wage jobs um mm. so yeah it's I think it definitely informs the way that I live now and even the way I parent because we are raising our daughters in this much more privileged environment and I'm really aware of that because I like that I was shaped by understanding that yeah everybody isn't given this easy road in regards to like finances and education. And so I worry sometimes that we are let it, we're allowing them to live in more of a bubble than yeah. I would prefer. Mm-hmm. 
but you're aware of it, so yeah, it's not gonna awareness helps. I don't think it's it's going to go that. I mean, just from the little bit I know about you, yeah, we try to focus on service more mm-hmm. so that they can be aware, even if they're not surrounded by it every day. They yeah. can be aware that there are people that need. Well, in my job, I mean, they mm-hmm. come with me. They have to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So. A big theme of my podcast is growing up and growing a business, Um, and I am 22, and I think a lot of people answer this question, um, how has your vision of success changed since your 20s? I've heard a lot of, I used to want to be the top dog when I was your age, and now I just want to spend time with my family. Mm -hmm. What about you? I, yeah, I'm, I made some notes, and what I wrote was now my idea of success is much more centered around emotional and physical health and less around accolades or finances. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's yeah. similar. But I, yeah, I would say emotional and relational health has moved to the forefront in regards to my priorities and how I judge success. Mm-hmm. Whereas in your 20s, I think or at least for me in my 20s, I was still living from a place of what I had been taught in growing up and in high school and college, which is accolades and grades. And that's how you measure your own success. And that's how you um, judge yourself. Mm -hmm. And um, I would, I mean, I just entered my 40s a couple of years ago and I had heard for years that 40 is not to be feared. 40 is so freeing. 40 is when you finally can stand up and say, this is who I am and I'm not, I'm not no longer going to be influenced. Mm-hmm. And I really have felt that. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> so don't fear 40. Yeah. Um, no, I'm excited to keep growing. Yeah. But I think for me, it's like my friendships, my marriage, my relationships with my family, and especially my relationships with my daughter um, and my relationships with people in my church, all of that is a lot more important to me. And then also as I'm entering my forties and my husband and I are sort of looking ahead to what it's going to be like when our children leave the house, Mm -hmm. we both really want to prioritize physical health too, because we want to maximize those years. Yeah. So, um, want to be healthy for the bucket list. Yeah. (laughs) Post kids, you know. I love that. (laughs) I haven't heard, and this totally makes sense. I mean, because the way that we're shaped is completely made up of how we're raised and our society and everything. But I think that coming into your 20s out of high school, constantly comparing yourself from your grades and, like, the awards that you got in high school, of course we're all wanting to be, like, the best in that way because that's how we were raised. Like, the kids with the best grades got the most awards and everything were the ones that were, like, praised Oh, 100%. And, you know, the the track to who's going to go to the best college and who's going to get the best scholarship, all of that is based on who claws their way to the top. Yeah. So. And so many people I know that are, are like, the at the top are miserable, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. And yeah. that's a thing that I've seen as I get older as well. Yeah. Um, because I, another thing that's interesting about being in your 20s, I think, is unless you come from a family that's supporting you, when you're fresh into your career, Mm -hmm. you don't have much money. So money feels super important to you because you don't have a lot of it. Um, But now that we're in our 40s and um, have sort of established a 
a comfortable financial base for ourselves, I'm better able to see. To look at everything else. It's Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So some of that is privilege, mm-hmm. right? Like it's easy for people who don't worry about money too much to say, oh, money's not that important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're, I know when we were in our 20s, money was very important. Right, <laughs> right. we were barely scrapping by. Well, that's the, so the second episode was um, with Ron and we talked about Maslow's hierarchy and that's, the whole the whole gist of it is mm-hmm. you can't focus on the other the other stuff if your baseline is all over the place. Oh, absolutely, and yeah. that's one of the reasons in the ministry um, that I work for, we have actually helped our families pay their rent and their bills here, so that that would free up some of their income to send home to their family yeah. members. Are you recording? Yes. This is Jim. My Hi, brother. Jim. How are you? Nice to meet, nice to meet you. you. I'm Whitney well. Mallory. Hi. Nice to meet you. Would you like a beer? Is that beer? Would, would you like one? Passion fruit beer? It's yummy. It's girl beer. It's actually really refreshing. It's it good is. for summer. Yeah. W- would you like one? No. Oh, okay. Do you want to ask me a question while we're, while we're here? Okay. Um, I just asked you if you wanted a beer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I well, yeah, we're... Nice to meet you. I'll let you guys get back to this. Okay. Oh, it's such a blessing to be estate. able to work for somebody that you trust their moral compass. Yeah, no, that's what I, and that was, and we'll get into this in a minute, but the biggest like part of, I think, bringing activism into your career is how you decide to spend your money within your business. I mean, that's just living, but you know the quote, like, um, whenever you spend money, you're casting a vote for how you want the world to be. Mm-hmm. God. And like, <laughs> that like what, oh, that one hits really deep. And then also same in business. Like I want to help people and work with people and spend time and money with people that align with my morals and my values because I'm boosting them up, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why yeah, I know we have to sing bag from a sustainable, <laughs> um, fashion company and I try I mean I feel like a deep sense of shame when I buy things from Old Navy yeah you know I mean no me too um (laughs) which is like miss and that's that's where capitalism really gets you because (laughs) it's like the overall thing is like yes we should be making our best efforts to buy sustainably and you know do everything we can to leave a good mark on this planet but at the same time it always comes down to the major corporations and not the consumer Oh, for sure. So you just have to remind yourself of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I yeah. mean, the sustainable stuff is not always, I mean, it's rarely affordable. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah it's that's a whole other podcast oh, yeah. probably. But yeah, I That'd feel the same one. way. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you and like three of my like closest friends who are all very passionate, about, passionate yeah. about this. And um, oh, we could have like, you could have like a shopping episode, you know, Ooh. like a Christmas shopping episode or something. That would be so. Oh, I like that. I'm going to write that down. Especially if we put on, um, like, recorded while we were shopping for Christmas. That would be so fun. Okay, I'm writing it. Because that's another thing as I get older. I just, I love Christmas, but I really hate the mass marketing, like, money hungry side of it yeah and I think one way to reclaim that is to try and have all of your gifting be like purposeful and for a good cause yeah we did um my family since my youngest sibling is 18 now so 
none of us have the want for more things right. anymore. We don't want like toys and stuff. So we've been doing experiences together instead. I love that. Since you know my parents don't live together anymore, and none of us. And Tommy's about to move out, so like none of us live in the same house anymore. So it's one of the only times we can all hang yeah. out, you know. But yeah. And like you don't wrap that, so then you don't have all the waste yeah. from the wrapping. Which I love wrapping presents, I love, but I, I feel so much guilt about it. We do. Um, my mom does the brown paper a lot, and then she'll reuse it. Or if you go to like the, um, I like using Trader Joe's bags, and then also Mom's Organic Market with the big oh, B yeah. stamped on it. Those are perfect for Those wrapping. Those are. Those yeah. are. Let's see our last rapid fire. Um, this one's always funny because sometimes I'll have somebody on that doesn't know anybody else. And this one's going to be tricky for you since, like, one of your besties is on the podcast. <laughs> um, what's one thing no one on this podcast knows about you? Oh, yeah, that I didn't think um, about Beth knowing this. I don't know if she knows that this is one of my favorite things. She definitely knows that this is something I do on a regular basis because I do it with her. <laughs> but um, the fav- I would even go ahead and just make the bold statement that it may be the favorite part of my day is walking my Labrador Retriever Sally to this little dog park. It's not actually a dog park. It's sort of a dog park that everyone in the neighborhood has created. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, perfect. So we're not exactly following the rules. But um, anyway, it's a doggy play date in our neighborhood, and it's right behind where a lot of us drop our kids off for elementary school. And it's just the most fun to see these dogs start. It's basically starting your day outdoors, which we all know is so good for you. And then all the dogs are just so happy. Yeah. And all of us owners are there and probably wouldn't be friends with each other. Yeah. But we're friends because we're, and we spend time, we spend like 15 or 20 minutes with each other every morning. And so it's this really, it is, it's this really unique community that I never even expected or looked for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's just something so happy about seeing the dogs so free, like they're leashed and then you let them go and they're with all their friends and they're so happy. Um, I love that dogs, I mean, all animals, but like dogs have their friends. Oh, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. And there's certain dogs that play with each other, you know. And other ones that Um, don't. (laughs) And we always laugh because a lot of us don't even know our names. Like people have come up to me in the grocery store and said, this is going to sound weird, but you're Sally's mom, right? Yeah. (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) So um, it's just a great way to start my day. Yeah. And um so that's sort of a random fact that most people probably don't know. I mean, maybe people know that I do that, but I don't think people know what a treasure it is to me. No, I understand. I just love it. And now yeah. I think if it ever, they have some plans to eventually like rebuild that elementary school. And I think that park may go away for a few years and I'm already dreading it. Well, <laughs> you're going to have to do some rallying. I know, and, we're uh, going to have to relocate the play date because it really is just such a... Well, then you guys can name it, like, um, the elementary dog park or something. I know. We, we really should. But, That'd yeah, be Beth so brings her dog, Lucy, um, who's, like, the largest doodle you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. Doodles are so funny to me. They do. They freak me out. Beth's dog is so funny because she's tall enough to eat food off the counter and she's eating the craziest (laughs) things like she ate a whole Mm -hmm. Caesar salad that was for like 10 people that Beth had made my 
my, our like first family dog, my brother's, my older brother's dog, Goblin. He was a food fiend, like insane. <laughs> he, I left a three-layer cake covered in fondant on the oh, counter, and I went to the bathroom no. when I was like twelve, and I came back in, and it was gone. Like for like three minutes, and it was gone. And I was so confused, and I thought my family was pranking me because it was like, <laughs> he was, he's like a lab blue tick pit mix, so like he's like a very, he was a very medium sized dog, uh-huh. and there was, there was not a crumb. Oh, he must have been so sick. He was. Oh, no. And then my dog, Beezus, who still lives with my dad, she didn't really jump up on the counter, but she liked to steal things, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she's really, really smart. And in my family's old house, there was the kitchen and then a sunroom and then our back deck and then like 20 stairs to go down the stairs. And then the yard looped around the house and it was all fenced. So Beezus came in while I was making these really like decorative, um, detailed Christmas cookies, like with the sugar icing on top. And they each took me like half an hour to decorate. <laughs> and I, Beezus comes in and, and she's, she's on um, Pitt and Jack Russell. So she's like medium small. Oh, that's um, an interesting yeah. combo. And she's like whining and barking and, and like backing up. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she runs outside and runs back in and is like whining. So I'm like, oh my God, there's like an animal or something outside. <laughs> So she leads me outside and down the steps and all the way around the side of the house and is like whining and I'm like, oh no, what's going on? She leads me around and I swear to God, I, I'm like on the other side like trying to figure out what's going on. She looks at me and if she could smile, she would have. And then she she turns around and she sprints back inside and I'm like, oh my God. And I come running after her and she beat me inside by quite a bit. And she had gotten three cookies off the counter and was eating them. She lured me outside so that she could run that and get cookies. That is very intelligent. Yeah. Our lab is not that smart. She's like, hi, you yeah. want to throw the balls at me? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Having really smart animals oh, it's can much more be challenging. amazing, but also like really hard mm-hmm. because they. she figured out how to climb the fence. Oh, yeah, and they, like they a can ladder. figure out how to open doors. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, it's better to have, like, a goofy... Like a medium dumb dog. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, like, <laughs> Sally can do, tr- like, you know, commands, yeah. but she's not going to win any Brainiac Awards. God, yeah. No, we've, we've had a... My, we also... We adopted my Nana's three-legged Border Collie. Aww. The sweetest creature ever to walk this planet. Very smart. <laughs> but... In a nice way, not in a I'm going to lure you outside and sell your cookies way. Okay, well, that's fun. I love that. We've got our other questions here. And do you even, like, do you think about yourself? Because I I think about myself, like, as an activist, like that word. Do you think that word fits for you, too? Well, it you was funny yourself? because you, in one, I think it's this next question was framed as, when did you become an activist or how did you become an activist? And I really, I don't know if bristled up is the right word, but I just felt a little uncomfortable with that word. Mm -hmm. Not because I, I mean, I think it's a a great word and I would love to be described that way, but I felt almost unworthy of that title. Um, and so I kind of had to sit with that for a few minutes (laughs) and think about it. Um, and I do think going back to that, I'm in my 40s now and I can just be who I want to be. And 
I do feel like it's it is an appropriate title, um, especially in the jo- in the work that I'm doing now. But even before, um, I think anytime you care about the state of the world and you take steps to change things for the better, yeah, that's activism. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it did make me a little uncomfortable. But yes, uh-huh. I am. Thank thanks to you and your question, I am okay. feeling more comfortable <laughs> with identifying. In that way. So I think that's also a generational thing. Are you a millennial? I am a really weird, I'm that weird cusp between X and millennial, I think. So I was born in 81. And they oftentimes put 79 to like 83 in this, we're like in our own little bracket because we were in middle school and high school before the internet was a big thing. Like my first email address was when I went to university of Georgia. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have a smartphone until I was like 30, but I, Facebook was not a part of university when I was at university, Uh but then it's been a part of our whole adult life. Yeah. So we're in this weird transition half generation where, I mean, I grew up with a landline that's how like people called to talk to me yeah was can I speak to Whitney well we had a landline too but that was left over from (laughs) right right yeah but I mean we like you know people if people wanted to talk to me like a boy for example Mm -hmm. there was calling speaking to an adult asking to speak to me um, texting wasn't a thing. We still used cameras with film. That sounds so freeing. It was. Like, and I'm really thankful yeah. that I'm thankful that Facebook wasn't a thing when I was in college. I think I was in grad school maybe when it first started mm-hmm. and people were like, there's this thing, Facebook. It's, you That's know. crazy. Oh my gosh. I like, I've had times where my phone has been broken for like a couple days and I just got to go around and not have a phone and how like like light life feels oh I know and I actually had this conversation with some friends of mine we were on a girls trip several weeks ago and um, I said if you could go back if you could hit a button and just go back before cell phones not cell phones but smartphones Mm -hmm. um, would you and most people said yes, but a few people said no. And I just couldn't believe it because I thought everyone would immediately say yes. Because yeah. I yearn for it. We're actually planning a trip to Glacier National Park next year for our family vacation. And a lot of the cabins, there's just no internet access. And my husband is like, well, what if we need to go to the hospital? Like, what if... And I was like, what do you think people in 1985 did when they went on vacation there? There was no yeah. internet. You know, it wasn't a no, big deal. No, I was thinking the other day, this this just hit me in my head. I was like, what did people do before, like, 911 if they were in an emergency, like, out of their home? You know what I mean? Oh, you had to go to the, you would run to a payphone or run to the office building or whatever, you know? That sounds horrible, but like like every other part of it sounds kind of great. I bet the people that want to keep like modern technology in that way are people who are extremely extroverted. Maybe. And like the constant engagement. engagement. That could be. But yeah, I just, I think it's such a, it's it's so horrible how you have to be on all the time and no one has boundaries anymore with their work or their friends for that matter. Yeah. But I remember right before my dad retired, he actually retired early because they were, he worked in, 
corporate automotive industry and mm-hmm. his company told him that he was going to have to start using a blackberry and he said I so I'm okay not. thanks I mean, <laughs> he brought it home with him and like never even turned it on mm-hmm. and they were saying you have to turn your blackberry on we have to be able to get in touch with you and he was like that sounds horrible like I yeah. no I'm just that's a no that they were um Katrina are she's right over there she was telling me about how before like cell phones for real estate offices, like all the realtors would be in the office most days because they would sit around for the phones to ring and whoever was in the office would get the lead. Because if you didn't know the person, somebody was calling like a brokerage. Oh, so it's like whoever answers. Sure. I can be your buyer's agent. Yeah. Okay. They might be fucking with me, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure. (laughs) That's what she said. And I was like, that sounds insane to me but okay because like if there wasn't any internet then people couldn't like look online and find either yeah you know oh yeah you had it's all yeah and I also (laughs) think often about how with like Instagram now and everyone's so influenced and you have to buy this it's like you have to buy the perfect beach bag you can't just buy a beach bag I feel like 20 years ago, if you were going on a beach vacation, you just go to Walmart or JCPenney or whatever, and you buy the beach bag. But now it's like, well, I want one with a water bottle holder and the special zipper compartment. You know, like we have too many choices. Yes. Okay. This is um, one of my, and I haven't been listening to it a lot because I I don't enjoy, I enjoy entertainment that doesn't give me any value and I know that sounds so silly but like I don't like watching movies that are hard to watch Mm, yeah you just want to be I just want to laugh and I was talking with my best friend about this and I was like I watched the same two tv shows over and over and over again and she was like it's because in the 2010s they were making tv shows that were dramatic and fun but not serious and they don't make those anymore and I was like you're right so the podcast hidden brain it's an npr podcast Mm -hmm. he did an episode i don't remember the host name but he did an episode about how the in modern society in our culture we have too many choices and it's ruining our lives and one of the aspects of that that he spoke about was even in like marriage so in cultures where arranged marriage is the Mm go-to people are happier in their in their marriages and like report being happy and loved more often than in cultures mm. where where they aren't because you trust your family and your friends to make those decisions for you because in those types of cultures it's the people around you know you're better than you know yourself mm. whereas in the american you know most american people don't think that way um But I thought that I'll send you that episode because that's a good one. Yeah, that's an interesting thing about the arranged marriage, too, because it also speaks to this idea that Americans want everything to be perfect. Right. Whereas in an arranged marriage, you go into it knowing that there's probably going to be some traits about this person that you're not going to love. Yeah. Um, Whereas I think now, especially with the whole app thing Mm -hmm. and you can like match based on all these different things you expect to find your perfect match right which probably is not even a realistic option no no (laughs) i i do not want i do not want to be with somebody who's exactly like me i want somebody who has the exact same sense of humor Mm -hmm. that's it (laughs) 
mm-hmm. <laughs> that's in like morals. And I would say those two things. Sense of humor goes a really, 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 it really, really, really long way. Like, because then life is just easy, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But where I was going with the generational thing, because of who raised the different generations, so Gen, Gen X, I guess, mostly raised Gen Z. I'm Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And then millennials were mostly raised by boomers. Mm-hmm. And that really makes sense when you think about how Gen Z approaches the world and how millennials approach the world. Because a lot of millennials have that imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and not being able to connect with a word like activist, you know, because of the de- the generation that raised them. And then, you know, Gen X came in and was, and was like, well, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to raise my kids that way. So Gen Z is way more comfortable being, being like, no, this is mine. I... I I'm taking this. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Well, and I think it probably goes back to where I was raised, too, because I was raised in a really conservative family, um, both, like, religiously and politically. Mm-hmm. And so activist has sort of a negative connotation yeah, almost. Liberals and yeah. yeah and like <laughs> you know, marching in a protest right. and causing ha- wreaking havoc and yeah. So it was yeah, it was a really interesting question to ponder because there was that reaction there was the reaction of, oh, I'm not really good enough to be considered an activist. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side oh, well, activist is still sort of this scary word. Yeah. Even though, to me, it's not, but the way I was raised, it is. And so, yeah, it's that was a good question. little baby self in your head. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's that's something I, when I'm talking with my friends about issues and things that they're struggling with, um, in fact, one of my guy friends, he was out, I was asking him about why he thinks he's so insecure. And he was like, oh, gosh, I don't know. I just don't like myself. And I was like, okay, how's your relationship with your dad? Mm -hmm. And he had an abusive father growing up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that voice in your head is not you. Mm -hmm. That's your dad. And he was like, oh, my God. (laughs) You know? So I think the, the little child voice is something to really think about. Oh, yeah, it's powerful for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and take care of your kid self oh, yeah. and your adult self at the same time. Well, and it's interesting that you were saying that about how the generation that raised us, and my parents were baby boomers, and um, I definitely think that whether they raised me purposefully to feel this way or not, just culturally, I grew up feeling like as a woman, it was more my role to just make things easier for everybody like including myself almost in a way Mm -hmm. like to just sort of follow the the path of least resistance when it Mm -hmm. comes to career and so I was in love with my husband that I'm currently married to and Mm -hmm. we wanted to be married right out of college but he was going to be in the navy Mm -hmm. and I made a decision to go major in education or to go get my master's in education even though even when I was in undergrad, I majored in sociology. I was very interested in my social work classes. I knew that I, you know, I was interested in demography. There was all sorts of things that were more social justice oriented that I wanted to pursue. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to marry my husband. Mm-hmm. And I think culturally, that felt like the wiser path. 
And my husband hates it when I talk about this because he, he's like, that makes it sound like I ruined your life. No. You know? <laughs> and it, it isn't that at all. But I did make this choice to go into education so that I could have a marketable skill that was easy to travel for his career, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so now, 20 years later, thankfully, I've found my way back to something that is more like what I want to do. Yeah. But I do wonder if I were a different generation and had been raised in a different cultural setting, would I have just put off the marriage and said, well, actually, no, I'm going to go to grad school. We'll be long distance. You know? I think, so this is a big talk in, I I guess, like modern day, like feminism um, and something a lot of people, especially my age, are talking about way more is the, like, you're just as much a woman if you decide to be a stay-at-home mom and wife. Oh, absolutely. Whereas... You're also just as much a woman if you decide to work and never marry and never have kids. That doesn't take away from your womanhood Mm -hmm. or your femininity or whatever you define that as. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's great that you've swung back the other way, but if that's what made you happy, then who the fuck cares? You know? Yeah. If that's what you needed. And it worked out really well. Yeah. You know? I would say so, too. So, um, and I love, you know, that's not to negate. I actually really love teaching. And I love literature. And I love making, you know, illuminating a path for kids who don't love to read to learn to love to read. Yeah. Um, So, it wasn't like I was doing something that I hated. Right. It's just, yeah, I just took a pause. Yeah. Yeah. You have to choose sometimes. Yeah. I think that's uh, one of the hard parts about being a woman Mm -hmm. and really you know I think even just being an adult because now I definitely see like your generation especially there are lots of families who the dad is staying home and the dad is taking a break from his career and it's much more based on logic like who makes the most money that's who's gonna go to work you (laughs) know Um, no that's great and I I love that that's starting to swing that way because now it's not now, I, I feel like it's less of you either have to choose a family or a career. Like, you can do both. You just have to pay attention to who you choose as a partner to mm-hmm. do that with. Well, that wasn't even one of my questions, but just the intro to a question, <laughs> pretty much. Well, I guess you kind of answered one of them. Um, how have you been an activist? And then also, how did you begin working with refugees? And I'm going to check. I always have to do this. If I'm actually recording or not. Yeah. You start to get paranoid. I am, I am so, I am so paranoid <laughs> with those kind of things. Um, so, I've, like I said, I've always sort of been interested in activism, not necessarily specifically surrounding refugees, um, but because of my husband's job, we have lived in several different countries, and yeah. I've experienced culture shock, and I, I know what it feels like to just be drowning in a life in a place that you don't understand. And um, that's why when a friend of mine who works at Christ Church um, told me that they were creating this position and I was just finishing up my job with Keeve International School, I thought, yes, I absolutely want to do that because while when I've lived abroad, it's been under very privileged circumstances, not at all similar to a refugee's life. I do understand more than the average American, I think, mm-hmm. about what it feels like to not be able to read the signs, to not understand the grocery store. 
I mean, just all these tiny little steps throughout your day that are just one challenge after the next. Mm -hmm. Even if you take away things like rent and jobs, just tiny things are so hard. Yeah. Um, So I felt like it gave me a unique perspective to be extra compassionate with the families. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Uh, basically, Christchurch Refugee Ministry has been around since 2016, and up until a couple of years ago, it was mainly run by volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, my boss is the director of outreach, and then my friend Liz um, works with her, but they're the, they run several different outreach and um, justice missions, mm-hmm. and the refugee ministry is just one of them. So it was mostly ran by volunteers, but... When the Taliban took over in 2021, the influx of refugees to Northern Virginia, of African refugees, that's who we primarily work with, was so great that it was overwhelming for Mm -hmm. our volunteers. There was just no way to keep up. And so um, while we call it Christchurch Refugee Ministry, it's actually a group of faith organizations Mm -hmm. in Alexandria and Arlington that um, pull together resources and volunteers. And one of those, um, actually two of those congregations kind of came together and said, we think you guys need to hire somebody and we'll help pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so that's how my role was born. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks so much for joining us for part one of discussing with Whitney about bringing activism into the business world. I am going to cut this into two parts yet again, and um, please go to part two for the finished conversation. If you would like to reach me, please give me an email at thebirdhouse2023 at gmail.com, or you can reach me on TikTok or Instagram at riley.bloomer. I so look forward to hearing from you and please rate this podcast if you loved it. If not, no worries.